Welcome to the Dangling Conversation. I'm your host, Noah Bergdorf. I don't know if I need to keep saying that. I probably, I'll probably stop saying that. Um, but anyways, this is week two of attempting to upload once every other week. And this episode, I'm going to be talking about my top 21 albums that I listened to through the year. Um, so kind of to break down like the way that I did this, um, I listened to, I think, 127 albums through the year. And I did a ranking system where I went through all of them, did A through D, and then I deleted everything that was C, D, then I looked at A's and B's and decided, okay, is this A really an A, or is this B really a B? And then from there, I had, I think it was 44 things that I listed as A, and A was just like an album that I really enjoyed, listened to a lot, and would just like generally suggest anybody to listen to. Um, and then from there, I was like, okay, well, 44 is like much too much. Um, I have to narrow it down from there. Uh, so I got to 21. And I think the top 10 I'm going to talk on the most. I'm just kind of, I prepared things to say for the top 10, but 21 through 11, I I, I really didn't. I, I actually just kind of wanted to go off the cuff a little bit more. Um... And before I start the the from one to twenty one for twenty one to one, I guess, um, there were three four albums I kind of wanted to mention. One of them is Abby Holiday's album. Check that out because it is like it's like twenty minutes. It's super short, but it's really really good. Um, and I enjoyed it. I just didn't feel as if like I could put it up here because. Um, like, I know her, and she's cool. And if you want to be on the podcast, Abby, even though you're probably not going to listen to this, um, let me know, because I'd love to have you, and I'd love to talk music. Uh, she's really cool. And then um, another one was Pony by Orville Peck. Very good album, very country, mellow, listening, um, but just didn't feel as if it belonged on the list, but still very good. Um, and then the last two were albums that I'd listened to too recently and not like digested enough. Um Savage Mode 2 by 21 Savage and Metro Booming. I booming, jeez, I'm white. Booming. Um very very enjoyable and I like so much fun the entire time I was listening to it. It's narrated by Morgan Freeman. All of the interludes are done by him and then 21 Savage uh the production by Metro Booming is fantastic and I think 21 Savage um, matches the changes and beats super well. And then uh, the last one is I Need to Start a Garden by Haley Hendricks. Um, I only listened to it this month, but I've listened to it like seven or eight times. It's a great album. Probably could have been on here if I would have given it more time. Um, and I think it's only like 30 minutes. So check those out. But okay, so this is my ranked thing it's kind of it's loosely ranked anybody should listen oh one more thing um i made a playlist of everything that i gave an a to so if you're interested in listening to that i put on two songs from every album and you can find that on my spotify at noah b dwarf um and if it's not there you can always text me or dm me on instagram um 
yeah, and now that outs that that is out of the way. Number twenty one. I did twenty one albums for twenty twenty one. I don't know if you knew that, but number twenty one, "The Rhythm of the Saints" by Paul Simon. Um, it's it's a great album. I love it. If con- it continues his um, Graceland kind of sound, where I think he was focusing more on uh, West African beats and how that sounds. Um, the two songs I suggest the most is "Further to Fly," which is just like beautiful, um, and the second one is she moves on which is about his marriage to carrie fisher and how um they were married for about a year but they had dated and broken up and dated and broken up and all this other stuff but the song is him coming to grips with the finality of their relationship and how he's just mourning losing this person um it's it's i i think it was my most listened to song this past year um but it is just it is amazing um, it's, it's very intimate, it's very personal, and, yeah, there, there's not much more I can say about that. Number 20, Combat Rock by The Clash. I was really surprised by this album. Um, I had listened to, like, Rock the Casbah before, and, um, what's that song from Stranger Things? Um, what's the song? Oh my gosh, I'm gonna, uh, should I stay or should I go? Um... I'd listened to those before, so I kind of thought I had an idea of who The Clash were, but whenever I listened to it, songs like Know Your Rights, um, Straight to Hell. Straight to Hell is really interesting because I think it's a samba. They they use some kind of Latin American beat. The vocals that start out on the song are like really, really awkward and honestly terrible, but after you get over the initial part, it's just great. And then Ghetto Defendant is awesome. It's overpowered by the funk, kind of shows their versatility, where they're more than just a rock punk band. Um, Super enjoyable album overall. Um, Number 19, Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd. Um, You know, this is a classic album. I feel like everybody at least knows of this, but it's about, um, a lot of it is written about Sid Barrett, their former band member, who they had kind of um, lost to... Was it schizophrenia? I don't know. It, he he mentally he he was basically mentally unstable and was just going off the rails for a bit. And there's a quote from um, one of the former bandmates who talks about um, you know the the band couldn't live without him, but it also couldn't live with him, and that something had to be done. And so um, while they were actually recording this album. Uh, there's a story about this man who was overweight, completely shaved head, no eyebrows, comes in and starts hanging out, and nobody's like paying him any mind. And then they realize that it is Sid. And it had been like I think five or six years since they had seen him, and since then, like he had just undergone this transformation. It was obviously not the same person. Um, but uh, wish you were here. Classic song. Um, I love have a cigar, and just kind of the uh, tongue in cheek of um record industry labels coming in and just being like oh yeah like we're gonna we're gonna wine and dine you here have a cigar you're gonna go far and so yeah also this is this is something that i should bring up now i'm going to talk a lot about um uh albums that talk about the record label and like in the the industry and whatever um that's just a frequent theme I think amongst any good music or like a lot of good music 
Anyways, I'm, I'm not stup- sticking super in-depth with these, but uh, the next one is Battle at Gardens Gate by Greta Van Fleet. This is an album you need to listen to loudly. Don't put it on in the background. Don't do not do any of that. You need to... I, w- I was driving my sister Audrey to... Um, to like some kind of rehearsal and I had one of their songs in the background and Audrey got mad at me. She's like, no, what is this? What are we listening to? This is just awful because he's like screaming. He's like yelling his lyrics. And so I was like, okay, no, we're not listening to this at the appropriate level. So then I turned it up. Like I turned it way up and she, she looked at me. She's like, oh, this is actually epic. This is what this is about. I think of like stadium rock. I think they get compared to, um, Led Zeppelin a lot. I've actually never listened to much as Led Zeppelin, but um, kind of with how Queen and Freddie Mercury would purposely make anthems for stadiums and that everybody's singing them in a stadium, it sounds awesome. That reminds me a lot of this album. Just a good listen to through and through. Um, Next, Silk Sonic. So, is this album perfect? No. Um, It's, it's, I would say my least favorite song on it is uh, probably Put on a Smile. Some people really like that one. That's just, It's just not for me. I kind of have this theory that it's about, like, it's a concept album about, like, the continuation of a relationship where they're trying to, like, leave the door open is, like, the initial hookup, blah, blah, blah. Fly as me is, like, figuring out, oh, like you're actually a baddie and you're actually kind of cool and like I deserve to be with somebody that's cool because I'm so cool and then after last night is just like continually contemplating like "Mm, this relationship is so nice and then smoking out the window um is like the oh man what have I gotten myself into put on a smile is what have I done I've messed up now and they're trying to beg for that person back and then the 777 is just like the bro party song where you're just getting over the breakup. They're like, let's go to Vegas. Let's have fun. Let's forget that girl. And then uh, Skate is the eventual comeback and like trying to get the girl back. I don't th- I don't know how like viable that is, but that's how I like to listen to it, and I think that's really fun. Um, I actually really like 777. I know a lot of people don't, um, but it was one of those things where like as soon as I heard it, I like started bopping my head. Um I loved Anderson Pack's vocal performance throughout all of it. I'm a I love Anderson Pack, um, and I think the '70s aesthetic fits him really well. Um, he got like apparently got a big chest piece with like people of uh, Stevie Wonder and some other like famous black funk artists, uh, James Brown too, and it's really obvious in it. Also, like a, a small thing, but I love Bootsy Collins. I love Bootsy Collins. He's from Cincinnati. And he's a big local figure, so like hearing his, his boozy baby, like like him, just hearing his personality on the track, it just blended so well. I think it's a really fun album. Um, and then I have the Camp self-titled at what number is that? Fifteen. Um, it, I th- I think this was my most my one of my most listened to albums according to Spotify. I don't think that was on purpose. It just kind of happened. Um, the only song I can say I openly don't like off of it is John Henry. I it, I just don't like um, what kind of, uh, I don't know, effect that they put on the vocals. I don't like that, but for the rest of it, it's super enjoyable. I actually got to see them live, and 
most of their stuff live sounds exactly like it does on the record, which can be a bad thing. Um, there are points where it's just like a little too cookie cutter. Um, I'm not going to say that this album is just like anything crazy, but it's fun, bluegrass, rock, indie rock. What more could you want than that? And then next I have Crawler by Idols. I, I'm going to, I feel like I've said, I love this album. Of course I do. I'm the one that put it here. Kenny Beats produced the entirety of this album, which like, if you don't know Kenny Beats, Kenny Beats does stuff for like Denzel Curry, um, and just, just more rappers. I think he's done stuff with, um, what's his face? Oh, Rich Brian. Um, check out his YouTube channel because his YouTube channel is really entertaining on how he handles uh, production. He'll have an artist come in and then be like, okay, what kind of beats do you want? Oh, Vince Staples. That's the other person I was thinking of. Um, but it was interesting to hear him go with a punk band rather than a rap band and hear how he handled production. But it kind of, it, it really came across in the music because a lot of idols songs are more like i've listened to their joy as an act of resistance definitely more of a um post-punk grunge album but this one it it feels more i want to say commercial appeal-ish um songs like uh beachland ballroom and mtt 420 and the wheel they're just easier to listen to they're easier to put on but on top of that they have songs like car crash and the new sensation and uh meds that are equally just kind of that biting political punk sound so i really like this album i've listened to it so many times since it came out it's there's some releases that whenever you see an artist drops an album I'm like ah, do i want to listen to that do i really want to but idols as soon as i saw that it came out and it was produced by kenny beats i was just really really interested um so yeah, and then number 13, The Queen is Dead by The Smiths. So I'd never listened to The Smiths before. Um, I'd heard about them for years, but I didn't really know what they were about. Um, it, it, it's interesting because apparently Morrissey is obsessed with 60s pop, and that's what he wanted to go for. And I think Morrissey's personality, especially after like like listening to the album and then reading about who he was, it was just very... His personality comes across so well in his music um, because um, he's kind of pretentious and a bit self-absorbed. He's talking about, um, and frankly, Mr. Shankly, he's talking about wanting to be famous. He has a lyric where he's like, I'd rather be famous than righteous or holy any day. And how his desires for fame and for pleasure and kind of hedonism. um, And then... I, I just really enjoy it. Vicar in a Tutu is uh, kind of making fun of the religiosity that existed within England. Is there, are they English? Scottish? I think they're English. Um, that existed within England at the time and just kind of the overall rise of atheism in Western Europe. Um, but yeah, the, I think the weirdest track is Some Girls Are Bigger Than Others, um, and specifically for that title and the lyrics, where... Um, I th- one of the lyrics is like some girls mother some girls are bigger than other girls mothers and it's just very tongue-in-cheek but the guitar the guitarist i forget his name i really should know that i should have done more research on the 21 through 11 but i didn't and if you're listening to this thanks 
Um, anyways, uh, the next one, Roadrunner by Brockhampton. Roadrunner focuses a lot on the state of the band in the years that it's passed. Um, because Brockhampton, I don't know if you know this, they had um, a rapper named Amir Van who they had to kick out of the band because of some assault allegations. And then on top of that, they had a member whose father had like committed suicide in the midst of recording this. And one of the things that they did on one of the songs, um, The Light, uh, Kevin Abstract, basically the leader on the band, was on the phone with him and recorded their conversation where he's like, hey, man, like, how are you doing? And he gives this like monologue about like, you know, I feel as if this world is messed up. I feel like this world is a dark place. I don't know if I have anywhere to go, but I also know the light is at the end of the tunnel. And so a, a lot of, a lot of uh, specifically that member's lyrics are about dealing with his father's suicide, but the features on it are solid. I love buzz cut with Danny Brown, Danny Brown, his just kind of obnoxious, hard hitting, high pitched vocals off of Buzzcut were just a really great way to start off the album with the aggressive beat of Buzzcut, um, followed by Chain On with JPEG Mafia, which is more laid back, more smooth, more braggadocious. Um, Don't Shoot Up the Party is a great party song. It's talking about enjoying the moment, not letting people in that are going to waste it, not going to ruin your life, all this other stuff. Um, it's just a good album. I think I listened to an interview with Kevin Abstract where he said um, this might be the last project for a while and that although he's open to a comeback, just kind of staying away from things for now. Um, last out on the first half of things, number 11, The Devil and God Are Raging Inside Me by Brand New. This album is so easy to listen to front to cover, like front to back, front to cover. That's books. Um, obviously the song Jesus Christ is one of their most famous, um, actually I, it's kind of hard for me to talk about individual tracks because pretty much any time I listen to this, if I would listen to one song, I'm like, oh, I'm just going to listen to that album now. So not to say that it all runs together, but it's just one unifying thing in my mind. Um, but, uh, if you like punk, if you like rock, um, Go for this. Listen to this if you haven't. Um, in fact, even if you haven't, I, I would really suggest checking out Jesus Christ because it has this really slow build. Um, it's talking about fear and wanting to put things to a higher power, I guess. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my 21 through 11. Time to get into the top 10. Um, I know I kind of rambled for these, but... Um, I tried to, like, write more things about the top ten. So the first one I have, number ten, is Station to Station by Bowie. Okay, so for those of you that don't know, I am a huge David Bowie fan. David Bowie and Paul Simon are probably, like, my two most influential artists in my life um, for, like, really, really different reasons. Um, But Station to Station, this album kind of needs some history before I talk about the music. Bowie was battling a severe cocaine addiction when he recorded this album, and he doesn't, well, didn't, he's dead now, didn't remember recording it. Um, His lifestyle had considerably changed because his diet consisted solely of red peppers, milk, and cocaine. He had begun studying the occult and reading books from Aleister Crowley. And there's this infamous interview where he's quoted as supporting Hitler and fascism, which isn't true, but all of this kind of came together to um, form 
his persona of the Thin White Duke. The Thin White Duke was heavily influenced by the character he played in the movie The Man Who Fell to Earth, which is an alien who becomes addicted to sex, alcohol, and television. The Duke is just a sharp contrast against Bowie's previous characters of Ziggy Stardust and Aladdin Sane because on the outside, he appears really normal and just like a cool dude, I guess. Um, but he's, in, in terms of who he represents, he's the craziest out of all of them. Um, Bowie described the Duke as a character of who is incapable of emotion but sings only of romance and seduction. Um, the opening is the title track, and it's Bowie's longest track ever at 10 minutes. It really feels like three different songs with a long driving intro that has like a train going over it, followed by a guitar part, and then they introduce the Thin White Duke, who then sings of trying to convince himself he's in love with the person he's with, and that it's definitely not the cocaine. It is definitely the cocaine, though. The next song, A Word on a Wing, is a beautiful ballad, and it's actually, I think, one of Bowie's most personal songs, because he claims he was going through a pseudo-Christian phase whenever he was writing this. He was so nihilistic after studying the occult and the cocaine addiction combined with that was just terrible. And this is him crying for help outside of himself. Bowie was by no means a Christian. Um, but I think there is appeal in a desperate, broken person trying to submit to authority besides their own. Bowie's desperation to be whole and not completely separating hallucination from reality is seen throughout the album especially in TVC 1-5, a song about a man being addicted to television until he sees his girlfriend being eaten by the TV. Um, I would say Station to Station stands out in Bowie's, cat geez, Bowie's catalog because each song stands on their own really well and has their own sounds while also works really coherently together. Um, the rest of Bowie's albums, like, they're, you know, I'm obviously unbiased, but they're great. But, you know, you listen to one track off of the Ziggy Stardust album, you're like, oh, yeah, all of the tracks fit within that genre. Young Americans, same thing. Aladdin Sane, same thing. Like, that was the glam rock era. And then even afterwards with Tonight and with um, Dan Just Dance, Dance, Let's Dance, Let's Dance. Um, like, those all have the, the internal sound, but um, I think... In that sense, uh, Station to Station is really diverse. I thought about putting Low, his album, on on this list, on this and in, in this uh, range, um, but the B sides are mostly ambient experimental works with Brian Eno. Um, it also continues the theme of overcoming drug drug addiction and coming out of a low. It's a great album. Obviously, I suggest it. I just felt Station to Station was more appropriate to have on like a top ten list. Um, number nine. Montero by Little Nas X. Okay, so Little Nas is a bit of a controversial figure, but this album is really, really good. Um, whenever I first heard Old Town Road, I was like, oh, that's a cute one-hit wonder, blah, blah, blah. And then he came out with Panini. I'm like, oh, maybe he's got some talent. I don't know how well he's going to stick around. And then whenever he came out as gay, I was just like, oh, this guy is going to be around for a long time long time and I think he's kind of an industry plant if you don't know what an industry plant is it means somebody who like a record label has signed and then they will like artificially blow up a song so that they have somebody that they 
just have to be famous um and then they pretend to kind of like oh i came from nothing i can i think little nas might be an industry plant and it's kind of fine if he is but as soon as he came out as gay i was like there is no way his record label is going to let this album flop there's going to be so much production value on it there's going to be a good amount of features and so whenever it actually came out um you know i was not surprised to see people like jack harlow Megan the Stallion. I was actually really surprised to see Elton John featured, and I thought that was really cool. Uh, Miley Cyrus and Doja Cat on it are great. Um, each feature, and this is something that's particular, each feature complements the song rather than detracts from it, which can often happen in like major record label rap albums or like pop albums where they're just like, oh, everybody recognizes this name. Throw it on there. I just don't feel as if that happened. The only... The only, the, probably the weakest one, Elton John just does the piano. He doesn't sing at all. So if you didn't know it was Elton John, you just figured it'd be some dude, which is fine. Um, would have loved to see a vocal performance. Um, Doja Cat's verse is like kind of short. So maybe that's the only one I could put that towards. But even then it's enjoyable because I really like Doja Cat. She's really cool. Um, there's also two ways to listen to this album. You can put it on in the background with friends in a car, which I've done multiple times. And you're just hanging out and it's just a pop rap sound which is super fun and okay and enjoyable. But then also, like, there's a different way to consume it in which, okay, what are the themes? What are you looking at? And there's a lot of themes of depression, suicide, family issues, and drug addiction. Um, I'm, quite, I'm kind of left questioning if he enjoys fame because he said before in an interview that he would have killed himself if he didn't become this famous this fast. But, like, he's here now, and he can't be the same person he was there before, and I don't know. It makes me empathetic toward him, even if he is an industry plant, because he's reached a height of fame so fast. I can't imagine, like, that'd just be easy to deal with. Um, apparently, the song Dead to Me is a song about his mother and her drug addiction, and a, kind of a cool detail about it is his dad sung background vocals on it, and the ending track with Miley Cyrus is great basically asking the listener to not forget what they just listened to and everything that they have done. And it kind of makes sense to have Miley Cyrus as a feature because of just how she's grown up in that spotlight. And honestly, the loss of personal identity and self-worth that you would have if like, oh, like all these people forget me, nobody cares who I am. So that was just like a cool little touch. Um, moving on, number eight, Sometimes I Might Be Introvert by Little Sims. Okay. I didn't listen to this album all the way through probably more than five times. Um, and I'll talk about this later. Regardless, this album is really unique because Sim is humble but confident. She knows she isn't this huge megastar, but she's achieved a moderate level of fame that she really wants to enjoy. She raps about her family, uh, specifically her dad and I Love You, I Hate You, and her sisters and Misunderstood as well as envisioning the kind of man she wants to be with. She has pride in her Nigerian heritage in the sounds of point and kill. And the song Woman explores the role and power in being a woman in different countries. The beats revolve largely around samples and guitar instrumentals. She's the kind of artist that I feel like I know, I know her through her music without even watching an interview or a live performance. She just crumbs across as herself in her music. Her flows are really versatile and her singing is great. Her only real problem, my only problem with the album, is that it's 
over an hour with its skits and interludes, which is more of a personal preference on my part. I, I don't like skits. I'm not a huge fan of interludes if they don't like, but, and, and I guess this is what it does do is it does push the theme of the album. Um, the album sequencing is also kind of confusing because she has this song called standing ovation, but it should probably be at the end of the album just by that title and what it's about but it, I think it's like the fifth or sixth song, so it feels like this artificial ending to it. it, it a, a little confusing. Um, but besides that, this album, it's a beautiful mixture of being personal without being overbearing with it and also mixing in songs that are really easy to listen to without forcing this theme of being deep on you. Um, moving on, Purgatory. Well, sorry, number seven. Purgatory by Tyler Childers. Um, I think this was also one of those songs, one of those albums that like I incidentally listened to a lot. Um, Lady May was my most listened to song. Yeah, it wasn't She Moves On. It was Lady May. She Moves On was number two. Um, I've cried to that song multiple times. I think it's beautiful. Um, I'm not going to say that this album is like amazing or anything crazy, but it's really enjoyable, and Childers, Childer's personality shows so well in his voice because he paints his image as someone who gets in a little too much trouble, even though he knows otherwise. A specific moment that I, like, I remember is the song Tattoo. He talks about a fading relationship that he can't fully get over, and he's permanently marked by it. It's genuine, sincere, and fun. If you like country, if you don't like country... And, and, and this is a thing, like, when people say that they don't like country, which is, like, huge in Ohio, I think they have a misperception of what country is, because it, it really is a beautiful genre. It's a great—anyways, I don't need to tell you guys this. You probably already know. Um, number six is Paul Simon's self-titled album. So, uh, Me and Julio, Down by the Schoolyard, was the first Paul Simon song I'd actually ever listened to. And made me fall in love with him from there. But I actually had never listened to the album it was off of until this year. The song Duncan was probably the most surprising off of it. There's this, uh, I think it's a uh, Peruvian flute that he uses. He, he had some Peruvian artists come in and do it. Um, it's about a man who loses confidence in himself and in searching for meaning. Um, he starts a relationship with a female Pentecostal preacher and then like how she like somehow gives him his confidence back through, um, the physicality of their relationship read between the lines. Um, I love the song run that body down. It's an example of Paul Simon's just sincerity as a songwriter. And every time I get tired, I play this, I play this song. I'll play it in the morning. I'll play it at night because it's a dialogue between him and his wife, him him telling his wife how long are you going to do this, and his wife telling him how long are you going to do this. Um, it's also interesting because like he says his wife's um, first name, Peg, and I think they would get divorced about two years later after this. Um, this album also incorporates more blues than any other Paul Simon album I've listened to, um, but Mother and Child Reunion contains elements of reggae, which also kind of hints at Paul Simon's uh, future interest in world music. So I think that's pretty interesting. Uh, number five, Pink Moon by Nick Drake. 
this album needs to be listened to in one setting, one sitting, sorry, all the way through. You also have to have the right setting. Um, it is hyper emotional. It's withdrawn and it's vibey. His vocals are very smooth and easy to listen to. And his guitar playing is intricate because of his heavy use of alternate tuning tunings. Um, if you like singer-songwriter, you'll really like this album. I'd suggest reading about his life and how his music has become much, much bigger after his death. The album explores many themes of depression as he was in the middle of a nervous breakdown when he wrote this, and his death came two years later of an overdose on depression medication. The lyrics are great, and his voice is deceptively comforting in the midst of all of the sadness. Um, it also has one of the coolest album covers I've ever seen. Um, it's easy to put on in the background and listen to, but it, it, it does have, like, as you listen to it, you can tell that he's struggling. Um, and I really enjoy that. But if you're not in the headspace to enjoy that, um, don't do that to yourself. <laughs> um, number four is Doolittle by the Pixies. I don't really know how to describe this album, like, in terms of genre. It, people call it rock. People also call it punk and indie or alt rock. I just, I just don't feel as if any, any of those things fit. And part of that is because of Black Francis's lyricism. And it's at the very forefront of that, the album. He uses a lot of religious imagery, specifically in the song Monkey Gone to Heaven and Dead, which are then mixed with his off-putting vocals. It's just an interesting project. <coughs> I was reading about this uh, painter um, while I was like kind of doing some research. But uh, his name is Hieronymus uh, Bosch. I, I probably butchered that. But whenever I was looking at his painting, I was like, oh, this just reminds me of a Pixies album. I don't know why. I don't know if any of that makes sense. But if you know who I'm talking about, listen to this album and let me know if, like, if you agree. Um, hey and La La Love are probably my favorites off of the album. And if somebody's going to straight listen to it, the vocals just straight up, they might throw you off. But the guitarist, Joe Santiago, and the bass player, Kim Deal, they're strong enough by themselves to listen to it if Black Francis's vocals just mess with you. I also really like Kim Deal's um, harmonies. Uh, there's a... Uh, I think the song is uh, Bleed, I Bleed. That's just kind of the chorus, but they switch because I think it's the harmony. Deal starts on the harmony... And Francis starts on like a flat monotone, like a mono note um, uh, melody. And then whenever it gets to the end of the song, Francis is the one doing a high screaming whatever. And Deal is on the mono note one. I just think it's really cool. I think it's enjoyable. Um, so going into the top three, number three is Lust for Life by Iggy Pop. So... Backtrack, brief history on the album. Bowie produced this. Bowie produced Iggy Pop's first two solo albums, The Idiot and this one, The Lust for Life. The Idiot is good. Go listen to it if you're into down-tempo, industrial, avant-garde rock. Um, but Lust for Life is, as the name suggests, much livelier. And a huge reason for the fact that um, The Idiot is considered really to be a Bowie album that Iggy sang on while this is a pop album that Bowie produced. 
Bowie and Pop were together in Berlin trying to overcome their individual cocaine and heroin addictions, and the lust for life is representative of Iggy's attempt at sobriety. The self-titled opening track is Iggy's most popular song, and you'll probably recognize it from, uh, I think it's the Battlefield commercials. Um, It's about him trying to get clean, but hating it, which is continued in the song Some Weird Sin, which is, again, about drugs. Passenger is based off of a Jim Morrison of The Doors, uh, a poem. Some claim it's autobiographical, while others suggest he wrote it as a joking insult to Bowie, saying he's passive in an uncaring passenger to those around him and is satisfied to ride someone's coattails in order to get further in life. One of my favorite features of this song is how Bowie's on background vocals starts the chorus with a dissonant yelling. Harmony with Iggy sings it on one note, kind of like with what I talked about um, with the Doolittle song. Sorry, the Pixies song. And then um, then they switch on the final chorus of the song. Uh, most of them were written, most of the music was written, and then the lyrics were added and then done in one take with the vocals. Um, or some of them were complete freestyles which is in this song Success, which is a really fun exchange between Bowie and Iggy. Um, some of the songs might be a little out there for you, but for easy listening, Lust for Life and The Passenger are safe tracks off of them. Um, number two, this is a legendary album, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Um, I'm not going to necessarily talk about it a lot because it's a legendary album and either everyone has listened to it or heard of it if you haven't listened to it, do it. Out of all of the albums I've put on here, this might be the one that I suggest the most. Um, it's the first rap album to win Album of the Year, uh, which, like, award shows don't really mean anything, but they do when I'm trying to make a point. <laughs> and so um, a small thing that's awesome about this album is that it doesn't have any cussing, so I can play it around my house with my parents and sisters. Um the mixture of rap, gospel, reggae, and R&B, they go extremely well with her voice. Um, because not all singers can rap and not all rappers can sing. And sometimes, like, when they try to do that, like, I think Drake, Drake does that terribly. Well, like, he does it well, but I just don't believe him, where it's hard to hear him singing and then go into a rap tone and just, like, believe him, you know? She does a great job of sincerity in her singing you respect her chops and then you believe her whenever she's rapping and kind of having a harder edge to her tone um the skits are bearable just because of how interesting they are there's this the the setting is a teacher asking kids what love is and the themes of love and if they're too young or too macho for it Um, my favorite tracks off of it are probably that thing and to zion to zion features carlos santana and it's about the choice to bear her child in light of her newfound stardom, which doubles as imagery of the deliverance of the Israelites and Mount Zion. Even though Hill embraces her femininity and writes heavily from the perspective of a woman contemplating and her significance and role in society, it's easily accessible to guys. And her songs, her song That Thing tries to explain what each gender wants in a relationship that can be exploitive and warns both men and women to watch out for it. Towards men, she warns, look out, boys. Girls just want your money. And then whenever she's addressing girls, she's saying, girls, be careful. Boys really only want you for sex. And you have to come at each other with a mutual respect. I just think it's it's prolific and profound. 
obviously everybody else thinks that because it's a great album. Um, but yeah, I don't know if I said this at the beginning. I should have. I'm not going to say anything crazy or new. These are just my opinions, and I'm probably not even conveying them the best. I, I, I shouldn't have done this at the 40-minute mark. Um, but I am. So if you're here, cool. Um, number one, Call Me If You Get Lost by Tyler, the Creator. This was one of those albums that, like, as soon as I started listening to it, I knew it was just... It, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a well-regarded, critically acclaimed album of the year. And I was in a coffee shop, like, working on a sermon, I think, for my internship, which was, like, kind of ironic because it's, like, a rap, rap album, but whatever. But it was just one of those things where, like, I couldn't focus on what I was doing because I was just enjoying this album so much. Um, I think it it acts as a middle ground stylistically between Igor and Flower Boy. There's plenty of singing and piano-centered chord progressions, but there's also a lot of rapping, which was kind of non-existent on Igor. Something that I found interesting more personally is I, I don't, I didn't initially put any song on a playlist until I was going back through for this list. Not because I didn't want to, but because I realized I never did and forgot because I would just go back and listen to the whole thing rather than one song. Um, it was also interesting how there are two songs over eight minutes, but the runtime is just under an hour. It really doesn't feel like that with most song having some kind of feature or at least DJ drama screaming on it. it. Tyler's voice doesn't get boring throughout of it though. Additionally, there's only one feature I'd say I don't like. And even that's bearable because the rest of the song is really fun. Um, I love how the album art is a reference to old dirty bastard and his, uh, uh, Enter the Wu-Tang uh, Brooklyn Zoo album. There are plenty of videos going into depth on the themes of romance, money, and sexuality that are already explored on this album. They, they do a much better job than I do. Look at those. They're great. I only have two real critiques for the album. The two last songs should be switched, or Safari should have been dropped from the album completely. Although Wilshire isn't my favorite song, it has a nine-minute runtime. I, I at least appreciate how it's kind of an awkward presentation of Tyler having feelings for someone who's currently in a relationship. I think ending it there without any good, satisfying conclusion is fitting to the title of being lost and not being able to talk to the person who you used to be so close to. But maybe Safari is part of that. Uh, the song's about travel, cars, and luxury, which is the continuation of coping with the relationship that didn't work the second thing is the album it is really for the album but i just don't know where tyler will go from here flower boy and igor and this they're all sensational albums but there are enough overlapping themes that it now kind of feels complete at least in my mind but maybe i'm wrong and he continues with the same sound and theme and it's great and people love it but i could see him trying to do another hard shift in sound or do a collab album i think he's kind of hinted at that with ASAP Rocky. Um, but besides that, it's 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 a fun, specifically summer album um, that that where where you're going into that season of you want to be adventurous. You want to, I just picture windows down, uh, convertible car, traveling. That's really what this is about. He references traveling all the time. Um there's this, there's this uh, DJ drama. He yells, he's like, we just landed in Geneva. 
I, I got a French girl feeding me ice cream. We all got our toes out too, which is just like such a weird detail, but it's just a fun album. It's a good time. Um, yeah, so that is my top 21 albums ranked. I don't know if I represented any of that the way that I wanted to or in a good way, but I hope that this was enjoyable for you in some capacity. Um, if you had a list of albums or you listened to some of the albums beforehand and you think my opinion is wrong, and if you think I left something off of the list that I should have put on it, like Donda, if it's Donda, you're wrong, first off. Um, and, we can t- <laughs> and you can fight me, I don't care. Um, but uh, just let me know. I would love engagement with this sort of thing. If you have any album suggestions, uh, let me know. Um, like I said, these are albums that I listened to for the first time, not any um, strictly this year releases. Um, but all that being said, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, check out the playlist on my Instagram, Noah B. Dwarf. Um, follow me on Instagram, Noah Bergdorf without the H. And if you like this episode, uh, check back every other week because hopefully I will have another one up. I believe the next one after this will be my podcast with my friend T. McLaughlin. We're going to talk about furries. We're going to talk about the rights to vote. We're going to talk about how to separate um, emotional from knowledge and how those two intercept. I think that's on part one, but that's going to be a two-part series. But anyways, thank you so, so much. And stay cute.